On Wednesday nights, Unfound conducts a live show on YouTube at 9 p.m. Eastern. As the host of Unfound, I talk about recent true crime news, I preview that coming Friday's episode, and take questions from the audience. Well, today, due to circumstances out of my control, we are changing the format, and I will answer some of the most common questions I get while conducting that YouTube show. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. I know, I know. Right about now you're wondering, what happened, Dead? Why the change this week? Well, that's a very good question, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I had one interview lined up, seemingly, and the guest no-called, no-showed on me. That is a first. Then I was able to line up another one, only to have a severe thunderstorm roll through the guest's area that knocked out her internet power, etc. at the very time we had the interview scheduled. Hey, these things happen. So, here we are. But I do not like missing a Friday. However, in writing about what happened in the Unfound Podcast discussion group on Facebook, a listener suggested I do an episode where I answer some of the most common questions I get while conducting the YouTube show on Wednesday nights. Because some of you, I'm guessing, have never tuned in. And that's fine. But in not tuning in, you may not understand some of the finer points about why Unfound does things the way it does. Because the one time I really talk about them is during that show. So I'm guessing you'll be hearing some new info about Unfound today. And hopefully I'll be able to put everything back on the right track for next Friday. But first. Unfound News. This is, I believe, the last episode I will be recording at my current residence, 113 140th Avenue East, Unit B in Madeira Beach, Florida. Lots of fond memories made in this place, but a lot of pain suffered as well. I didn't realize it until I started packing that it's probably the right time to move. I'm only moving like 13 miles north, but I think it's going to seem like 1,300 miles, which I think is good but this will always be the place where Unfound started. Next, I sent out an email to all the transcribers this past weekend, detailing how we would be proceeding regarding compensation and further work. If you are a transcriber and didn't get that email, please check your inbox or spam folder, because in that message, I requested you send some info back to me. And finally, are you going to see Avengers Endgame this weekend? I plan to see it when I have the time. Of course, I don't have much time. So, we'll see. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Podomatic, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. This week, in the Patreon section, I need to thank Christine. You can also contribute to PayPal, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com, and I need to thank PayPal supporter Shane this week. Unfoundpodcast at gmail.com is also the email address. 
Merchandise, the books on Amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Specifically, Volume 5 of Season 1 is now out. Don't forget the reviews. Shirts at Shopify.com. Cards at MakePlayingCards.com. And please mention Unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thanks. And now the questions. These are not in any particular order. What I did was I went back and I looked at each Wednesday because listeners have the ability to ask me questions in the group before the show starts. So I went back to all of those posts over the last few months, maybe even back to the beginning of the year. And these were the questions that uh, have come up maybe more than once. And I thought some interesting questions that would give you more in-depth knowledge about Unfound and, once again, why we do things the way that we do them. So here you go. Oh, and one more thing. I'm not using a script or anything. I'm just doing this all off the top of my head. I have the list of the questions uh, in front of me, but I will be answering them all off the top of my head. The most common question I get is, How did I get started doing this? Well, this is going to seem very funny to you. Is that I had no idea that there was even a true crime podcast community. I don't know. uh, 2015, I guess it would be. I started listening to the Mara Murray podcast. Yes, that's true. Especially it's maybe a bit humorous considering um, what I've said about the Mara Murray disappearance once I started Unfound, but I started listening to that podcast. I would not say that I ended up listening to all of the episodes, but I listened to quite a few of them, and then I will admit I lost a little bit of interest in it after maybe a few months. But then uh, some of you, I'm sure not all of you, but at least a few of you know that I actually did another podcast before Unfound. And how that happened is I ended up meeting uh, a woman online who also was listening to the Mar Murray podcast, and we just started talking about cases in general, and then we came up with the idea of doing a podcast together. Once again, I did not even at that time understand how big true crime podcasting was. I'm telling you the truth. And we started that podcast in maybe April of 2016. We only made it until the beginning of July and things uh, fell apart. And I'm just going to leave it at that. But I knew at that point that I wanted to do a podcast, a true crime podcast. And I wanted to do something different than what we had been doing. And so Unfound the program that you now know, that you're listening to now, got started in September of 2016, and it became an interview-based true crime program. In contrast to the one where she and I were hosting together, there were no interviews. It was more your standard type of uh, situation where we just talk for like an hour. So that's how Unfound ended up getting started. Now, Even going back farther than that, I've just always been interested in disappearances. Going back, I'm 48 years old, in search of unsolved mysteries, cops. I can remember watching cops back in high school 
in the 1980s, and I've always had an interest in, uh, of course, plane crashes, plane disappearances. That's why I've taken such an interest in, for example, the disappearance of Flight 370, Amelia Earhart, D.B. Cooper, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and, and even some ships and, and other things. So for Unfound to start in September 2016, it was actually a long time coming. I wouldn't say I always planned on it. Of course, podcasting didn't even exist in the 1970s or 80s or 90s or even some of the 2000s. I think podcasting maybe started in the later 2000s. But um, I just saw an opportunity to use my abilities My mind, don't ever ask me to manage people, but I can manage ideas fairly well. Picked up some experience in other areas, public speaking, improv, talking, speaking, things like that, that I believe help do the interviews that we do for Unfound. So that's how I kind of got started. It wasn't in the grand plan of anything. I think that if you'd have told me in 2000, even 2015, that in 2019, that I would be doing a, a podcast interviewing family members who've lost loved ones to disappearances, and that was my phone in the background, and um, I would have been, I would have said, what? Well, that's crazy. I just... It, it, here I am, but it's one of those things though, and maybe you've experienced it yourself where you do all these sorts of things that you think you were meant to do with your life and then you happen upon something and it it's such a good fit for you, for who you are, your mind, your emotions, your physical abilities. It's not something that you could have ever predicted and that's the way it is for me and unfound. And of course, along the way, uh, I've picked up some great people who are now part of the team. Of course, I always talk about Emily. I talk about Cherie. I, um, just recently, um, Dr. Eric Grabowski, who was the guest for the Donna Mikolenko episode has come on the team as well, doing, um, some things behind the scenes. And there are so many others, uh, that I can rely on to make this program what it is. And that's why it why I'm doing uh, this Q&A today because it's a little frustrating then on a Friday when I cannot bring uh, an interview to you because uh, that's why I'm here and that's why the team exists because we're here to solve cases, period. So that's how I got started. Just didn't, could never have planned for it, ever. Next question. This is one that also comes up, and uh, it, it takes a little bit of an explanation. Why do you have the rule that a case has to be a year old before covering it? Here's why. The guests will tell you that it takes a little bit of work to be interviewed for Unfound because there are a lot of steps we go through before an interview is conducted. I will talk to the person once, and I'm going to maybe get into a question later that is along these lines, that it just takes up a lot of time, first of all, for a guest to be on the program. And it's a lot of work for me, and it's a lot of work for them. 
And the reason that I came up with the year stipulation at the beginning is because I knew that I wanted to cover cases that were older. And here's what I know. If Unfound was a program that we would just cover any disappearance that happened at any time, primarily in the United States or in Canada, and I would, of course, love to branch out. Of course, I've already read at the beginning we did a disappearance in Africa, but in England, Ireland, Japan, whatever the case may be, I know eventually those are the only kinds of cases that Unfound would be doing because those are the people... It's just happening to them right at that second. They're looking for any media outlet to talk to. And I'm sure that they would find us. And that's fine. But I know eventually it's like a slippery slope. Once you would let in one case that's only, for example, a month old, then that's all you'd get. And frankly, I think that older cases need more coverage. How many people have you heard on this program, how many guests, tell you about how there hasn't been any new information in years? They haven't talked to the police department in years. There hasn't been any media coverage in years. Well, the unfortunate part is that doing this program and covering these cases is a zero-sum game. What I mean by that is if I cover this case over here, I can't at the same time cover this case over there. All right, they are two separate things. Now, I can juggle, between myself and Emily, we can juggle uh, several cases at one time. But when it comes to the the bare bones of doing an interview or something, and in my opinion, it's a weekly program. Any more than if we were to do twice a week, I think the quality of the program would go down. There are only so many weeks in a year, only so many years in a lifetime. And... I just happen to believe that the older cases need more attention. The truth is that these new disappearances, as you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I post recent disappearances on the Twitter feed just about every day. In the group, on the page, listeners post disappearances from their areas, new ones on the group, on the page. They tell me about them. Um, And... So it's not like we don't cover them. It's just we don't do episodes about them, okay? I think the the closest one, I think maybe Jessica Hamby's, is one where right after the year passed is when we covered that case. I think that's the closest one we've kind of come to that uh, stipulation, that rule. But that's just my attitude. And I feel for all of these people. I feel bad for every single one of them. But at some point, you just have to make a decision. Uh, I know, for example, Marissa over at The Vanished, she has a little bit different attitude. Fine by me. That's her program. She can do what she wants, being it's kind of similar to what we do here. She can do whatever she wants, but I'm just explaining to you uh, my logic behind what we do. Here's what I know. If I were to accept any case at any time, then you wouldn't have heard about the McDaniel sisters. You wouldn't have heard about Nicholas Masucci. You wouldn't have heard about Donna Mikolenko from the 1960s. You wouldn't have heard maybe about Evelyn Hartley from the 1950s. I, I think that's pretty, pretty, pretty clear. You wouldn't hear about Dale Kerstetter from, you know, the late, mid to late 1980s. And who knows what other... Uh, 
disappearances might have gotten pushed to the side because of, of new ones. Whereas those old ones, they need attention too. You know, there's people that have been living with those disappearances for 30, 40, 50 years, and we as the public have a responsibility to help them too. So that's what we're going to do. So that's why uh, the rules, could I have picked two years? Could I have picked 10 years? Of course. But I think a year works because by that time, um, a lot of the, maybe the rumors and things have started to maybe die down. At that point, unfortunately, a lot of police departments have already started to move on. And then I think Unfound can come in and try to boost it up again. You know, maybe look at some new avenues, try to help these people behind the scenes, give them suggestions and recommendations. Have they tried this? Have they tried that? Um, so that's the reason the role uh, got started. Okay. Let's move on to the next question. This is also a very, very common question. What is your favorite case or what is the case that continues to haunt you? Uh, I, I would put this in the category, any kind of question with superlatives in it. You can look that word up if you don't know what it means. I don't think about cases that way. All right. When anybody asks me, and I feel it's not just lip service to the question, but I, I don't have a favorite, you know, quote unquote, favorite case. Uh, none of these cases haunt me. I don't put them in some sort of hierarchy. Well, these ones, these ones up here are really the ones I'm just really, really into. And then these ones down here, I'm just not as much into them. That just feels so wrong to me. These are all people. They're all equal. I realize some of them were doing some things they shouldn't have. And many of them w weren't breaking the law or anything. But in my world, none of that matters. I continue to tell people, if there is a family member that wants to talk to me about their disappearance, I'll talk to them. I don't care what their loved one was involved in. I don't care. Now, we talk about it because many times what they're involved in could have led to their disappearance, but that's the only reason we talk about it. And in many times, I think we talk about it and we try to get by it as fast as we can, but it's still relevant, so we need to talk about it. So I don't think... Uh, I don't put superlatives on these cases as far as favorite, least favorite, most loved, most hated. That just feels so wrong to me. Now, I will say that some of them are bigger mysteries than others. We cover a lot of cases where it seems like there's a lot of good suspects. There are a lot of good suspects. But then there are a few where there are no suspects, and probably the first one that comes to mind is Jason Jolkowski's. Once again, a case, what was it, the third or second, third or fourth case we ever covered for, un for Unfound. Uh, that's one where there are no suspects. Jason wasn't involved in any illegal activity. It was a beautiful day in Omaha, Nebraska. He was walking maybe a half mile from his house to the high school to get picked up to go to work. Gone. No suspects, nothing. So those kinds of cases are, yes, are bigger mysteries to me, but that's factual. That's not a feeling. It's just factual. Where there's other, there are others where 
there's really only one suspect. And if we were to find out someday that it was somebody else, we would be really, 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 really surprised. But from a ter- from a standpoint of liking and not liking, loving, not loving, hating, not hating, I just do not think about the cases uh, in that matter, manner, manner. And I really don't understand anybody who does think that way. Um, the next question, this is one, I wouldn't say I get it all the time, but it's probably popped up, I don't know, five or six times in the last six months. Does it ever worry you that you're naming suspects, pointing fingers? First of all, we don't point fingers on unfound. I think I expressed that in the update episode when, uh, in the case involving Juanita Nelson. More afterwards, her sister Katie, who was the guest, then went on Facebook and she said she should have defended her uh, father more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We do not go after people on Unfound. We talk about the facts. We talk about locations. We talk about times. We talk about dates. We talk about any fights, arguments, enemies, uh, that the that the missing person had any problems going on in his or her life, and then we let the listeners decide. As I've told many people many times, we cover the facts, and I can't help it sometimes if the facts makes certain people look suspicious. I can't help that. I can't help it. But we do not go over. That means that maybe we're generating lies to make somebody look guilty. That's not what we do. It's not what we do at all, ever, ever. I would never ask a guest to lie, and I would never lie to all of you. So if sometimes after an episode, certain people, like uh, very recently, Blaine Grell here, he doesn't like it how he was portrayed in the episode regarding Layla Faulkner. We didn't lie about him. We didn't lie about him. And even then, after all that, I'm not so sure that he did cause uh, Layla's disappearance. I'm being honest with that about that. But he was upset, and to which I say, we just talk about the facts, and that's it. We just talk. We're not going after anybody. And in fact, I will tell you, I have had a couple conversations with people who wanted to be guests that seemed to me to be hell-bent on saying things and doing things, and those people are just not welcome on the program. Just not. So, getting back to the question, does it ever worry you that you're naming suspects? We don't name suspects. We may call them that as kind of a generic term, But what we do is we talk about the people around the missing person or any of those people having a problem with the missing person. If the answer is no, then the answer is no. If the answer is yes, then we talk about it more. That's it. Uh, But for me personally, and I, I think this question has also been asked of me in a kind of a different light, Ed, do you personally worry about your own safety, naming suspects? And of course, we've gone after... We've gone after at least one biker gang, and uh, we've talked about um, 
some guys who I, I just don't think that were very good people. I don't I wouldn't say I worry about it. I wouldn't say that I necessarily think about it. But I do carry a gun. Some of you know that uh, maybe you've seen the videos of me shooting my Glock 19 that I take with me everywhere. Uh, a couple months ago, I also got a Glock 43, which is like a smaller version of the Glock 19 that I carry. It's also 9mm. And then in February, I also got a Colt LE6920, and you can look that rifle up. And that is all geared toward the idea that I realize I do something that uh, may make me a target, and I and I'm cognizant of that. But I wouldn't say I think about it. I wouldn't say that I worry about it. And really, when it comes right down to it, even though I'm 48 years old, I think I know how to take care of myself. I'm fairly um, aware of my surroundings. But there are things that I do uh, that I don't do that other people do do. You know, posting where they are and where they're headed and where they're going to be. And, and you'll find on my Facebook feed that I don't do much of that. That is kind of one of the reasons. What is the process by which people get on Unfound? Uh, this kind of goes back to a couple questions ago. Here's the process. Either Emily will be going out there looking for Facebook pages, uh, websites, maybe some news articles, and she will figure out a way how to contact anybody on those pages, on those websites, in those articles. She will figure out a way, and she's really good at doing that. And she will introduce herself, and she will give the people the, the link to the program. They can listen to it. Um, Emily will fill them in on what we do and kind of, I wouldn't say successes, but kind of the people that we talk to and some of the uh, progress that we've made on certain cases. And so that's one way that we reach out to people. Then on the other hand, people reach out to us. They find me, they find Emily, Maybe Cherie has uh, brought some cases to Unfound. Other people have uh, made some interviews happen. Uh, and, of course, we've had some bloggers on the program. We've had a, a couple investigators like Dennis Mahan. Uh, we've had uh, Anthony, who was the guest for both uh, the Evelyn, Evelyn Hartley episode and the Tammy Leppert episode. He runs a really good blog uh, as well, that I've linked to in the group many times. So we find them, they find us. Then what happens is that I have a preliminary conversation with the person who is most likely going to speak for the family. We could, of course, we know, you know, we talk to a lot of mothers uh, on the program. It's probably the most common demographic. But then, and we haven't had a man as an, a guest on Unfound. It's really weird how that works, but I don't think we've had a male as a guest on Unfound since Matt Copper was on to talk about his brother Al's disappearance. That's over a year ago. It's just weird how that works. I don't know why. But we'll talk to sisters. We'll talk to children of missing people. Uh, of course, with uh, Cindy Fox, she was the mother-in-law of Lacey Buenfil. We talked to Travis Morrow's ex-wife, Christy. 
a whole wide range uh, of people that we've had on the program since it started in September 2016. I will have a preliminary conversation with these people. I will get their permission to record the phone call. And we may talk for an hour and a half, two hours, just depends. Then afterwards, I will play back. And because Florida is a two-party state, I have to ask permission to record the phone call. And there's yet to be a person who said no. But I will record the conversation. And then I will listen to it again, taking notes. And as questions in my head pop up, maybe something that we kind of glossed over that I think needs to be talked about more, then I will eventually get back in, in contact with them maybe a couple weeks down the road. It's, it's hard to say. It depends. And then we will have another conversation. And it just seems to me, I'll say, it just seems to me there's something missing here. Can we talk about that a little more? And we'll do that. And this will go back and forth until I think that we have fleshed out everything we can regarding information on the case. Now, in the in that process, we do do theorizing. You know on the program we do not do theorizing. I don't do theorizing with the guests. And very, maybe once in a while do I get into a little theorizing in my summations. Usually not. Just I usually just talk about facts that I think maybe um, are interesting or contradicting, something like that. But we do do theorizing in the preliminary conversations and conversations after that. But I make clear to them, we do not do theorizing during an interview. Uh, many reasons for that, because that's one of the ways you can get in trouble. And I, I will maybe that's going to be another question uh, that I'll get to before this episode is over. So finally, what will happen is once I think I have a good handle on the information to the point where I think that I can be a good interview, I can ask, I can ask the right questions, I can understand what's going on. I can maybe point out some facts to them, information to them that I think that they need to look into further. Then I will put together an interview outline. And an interview outline is nothing but everything we've talked about in an in, in organized order. That's all it is. I will type it up. It's usually two, three pages uh, in a doc file. And I will email to them. They look it over. All information that is talked about on Unfound is pre-approved by the guest. We don't bring up anything. We don't talk about anything that they haven't approved beforehand. I do not ask them any uh, surprise questions. This is not a political show where, where I'm here to play gotcha with them. I'm here to help. So they look over the outline, and it may be that they say, you know what, I don't, I, I don't want to talk about this, so can you X that out? Uh, that's probably private. We shouldn't talk about that. But then they'll say, you know what, you missed this over here, and then I'll add it in, and we eventually get to what the outline is. We then schedule a time to talk, and I interview them over the phone. And once again, the call is recorded. What happens after the interview is that the file that is generated, I send to my Mac computer, and then I will listen to the interview again. The only things that I take out are mistakes. What you hear during an interview is exactly the way that it plays out. Now, because it's pre-recorded, we have the opportunity to take a break, 
If maybe something is unclear or something, we need to stop for a moment to talk about it. We'll do that. Once again, mistakes that I make. I make a lot of them, even after 120-some interviews. The guests will sometimes say some things, then they want to rephrase it. We can go to the bathroom. Uh, there have been some times where the phone uh, calls have gotten cut off mid-interview, and so I'll call them back, and then I'll splice all the files together. In the end, you, the listeners, don't even realize that any of that has happened. Okay? You don't realize it. But any guest will tell you that when they end up hearing the interview and they don't hear the interview until it plays on Fridays, they will tell you that the interviews that are played on the program are exactly how the interview was conducted when it was recorded, except once again for taking out mistakes and breaks and, and uh, dropped phone calls, things like that. I don't take anything out of context. I don't shorten their answer to make it look like one thing. I don't shorten my questions to make it something. I don't. Uh, I think that that is um, shoddy journalism. I do. So you want to hear a real conversation, and I want you to know that you are hearing real conversations. That is how people get on the program. That is how an episode is made. Now, sometimes it takes a while for some people to eventually uh, get on the program due to circumstances. What they're going through, what I'm doing, it just depends. But generally, I would say from the first time I talk to somebody to them being on the program, it's probably a couple months. Some of them were very quickly, like Travis Murrow with Christy. I think that was only about three weeks. But some other ones could go two months. Three months, six months, it just depends. For example, like Sean Kosky's disappearance, I started out originally talking to Sean's mother in late 2017. Well, as you know, I ended up talking to his sister, interviewing his sister, and when did that episode come out? Earlier this year. That took over a year, and, I, and we switched guests. So you just never know how things are going to turn out. Uh, so let's move on to the question. Would you ever cover cases other than disappearances? No. Uh, it's called Unfound. So we are a program that are looking for people, whether it's uh, sisters like the McDaniel sisters or two guys like Daniel Braden, Jansen Brewer, or an entire jet with everybody on it like Flight 370 or a... Uh, uh, a Boeing 727 with Ben Padilla and seemingly two other guys on the jet. We're looking for people. Um, this is not a murder show where there's a body and, and, and that's not what we do here. I respect the people that do that. Those cases are important too. Uh, but Unfound has its niche or niche. And this is what we do. And I think we're pretty good at it. Um, is it hard to do this day after day uh, the emotional toll that it takes on you. The simple answer is no. Is it is doing podcasting easy? No, and I'm going to talk about that later about if you want to do your own podcast. That's a question I get too. Um, it does not take an emotional toll on me because, frankly, my job is not to be emotional in all of this. 
I'm not saying that I haven't been emotional at times. I'll give you an example. When in late 2017, I went to Florida's Missing Persons Day, it was in December 2017, I met Joyce Rivetuzo up there. And they had a ceremony, and I could tell you I was very emotional for that. Yes, you can't help but be that way. But for Unfound, the people that I talk to are relying on me to be objective. They're relying on me and Emily and Shri, anybody who helps in any of these cases. Uh, they're relying on us to be objective, to be professional, to be rational, logical, and that means you have to keep your emotions out of it. I feel for all of these people. I feel horrible for all of them. But they don't come to me. They don't come to Unfound uh, to for a shoulder to cry on. They're looking for answers. They want answers. And we want to help them get those answers. I'm, I'm, although it seems sometimes I do play a little bit of psychiatrist because I do think that I've learned quite a bit about uh, trauma from what they've experienced, although I've not personally experienced it myself. I mean, the closest that I can even relate to it now is when my mother died six months ago, but it's still, it's not the same. You know, I was there when my mother died. I know why she died. I, I got to say goodbye to her. I was there for the funeral. I saw her be put in the ground. I know where she is. If I ever want to go uh, see her, these people have none of that. So, uh, but they're coming to Unfound for answers. They're coming to Unfound to make people aware that this disappearance happened because many times some of these disappearances are forgotten. For example, like Devin Brown Bucetta's, there has been so much that has happened on that case just since we covered it like uh, six weeks ago or something. And that was a case that has not been covered in Pittsburgh in years and years and years until I worked with the Tribune Review to get that done in late 2018. And had, so Wilshire, her aunt, is now getting more answers. We're getting closer. They're inch by inch by inch. I think that they're getting closer to having a better understanding of what went on with Devin the day that she disappeared, and that's exactly what they need. So, and I think I was talking about being a psychiatrist. Sometimes I kind of am, and but it's only from the aspect of telling the guests that I'm talking to what other guests have said about how they've managed their emotions and the depression and the obsession with trying to figure out what happened in their own disappearance. And I try to pass that along to whoever I'm talking to at the time. I have no schooling in that area. Uh, even if I would have, don't think I would have been very good in that area if I went to school for that. So I'm just, it's really on the job training when that part of doing this program is involved. So, um, but as far as an emotional toll, no, uh-uh. Is podcasting and doing this program easy? No, it's not. This is a seven-day-a-week job, and it's great. It's it's very fulfilling. Like I said earlier, the first question I had, this is kind of what I, not kind of, this is what I feel like I am supposed to do with my life. And when you think about it in those terms, then it, you know, it can't take an emotional toll. I was telling my 
um, uh, personal trainer, Blake, just a week ago, he was asking me uh, if I ever get burnt out. And I just told him, man, as many things that I have failed at in my life, uh, once you happen upon something that you feel like you are supposed to do with your life and you could see you doing it for the rest of your life, you live to be 80, 85, 90 years old, that you could see yourself doing it every day, there's no reason to be burnt out. <laughs> you know, uh, these days where I do research, trying to learn these cases as much as I can and calling people and everything else, as much work as that can be and as frustrating can be, that is nothing compared to failing at something. <laughs> so when he asked me, uh, you know, would I ever get burnt out? I said, I have no... And as many times as I've failed in everything, to finally happen upon something that I know that I'm doing, I'm meant to do, it's important, and people care about it, and there are 4,800 people in the in the discussion group and 5,000-some people following the unfound page, and those are all real people. I never have bought a single follower, member, click, like, download, every ever. They're all real people. There's no time to get burnt out. There's, you can't even think like that. You know, this is something that that we're doing here that is good and um, worthy. You know, uh, it's and um, so you can't worry about the emotional toll. I don't think there is one for me. For them, there is, but once again, they don't come to Unfound. They don't talk to me because. You know, I'm some doctor of psychiatry and they're laying on a couch uh, to manage their emotions. I'm here to help them solve the case. And to do that, uh, you have to keep the emotions out of it. It's just as simple as that. Um, do you ever wish you could get deeper into these cases? The answer is yes. And in fact, um, we've started doing that just a little bit on Unfound on a series of cases, I'm not going to tell you where, give it too much away, but between myself, Emily, Cherie, and Eric, uh, we have kind of taken a little branch here and there, me doing some things, them doing some things. Um, we are getting into some cases that uh, are more long, what I would call long-term projects, uh, cases that we are uh, working on in the background. And the way you would judge that is that there are just maybe some facts about these particular cases that warrant more in-depth understanding of what happened. Because once you start talking to these people, um, more questions than answers are, are generated. So yes, we are uh, getting into a little bit more of that, but you have to remember... I'm the only person that does this full-time. Emily has her own job. Cherie has her own job. Dr. Eric Grabowski has his own job. So they're doing this uh, in their spare time. And I cannot thank them all enough. I'm the only one that does this full-time. And, and since I'm the boss, I'm ultimately responsible. But do I wish? Yes. 
And we're going to try to start doing that if we can. We may not be able to, once again, given that the priority, the only person in this world where unfound is a number one priority is me. The other people who work with me, they do have other priorities in their lives. They, they're, they, uh, they have bills to pay. They have jobs to show up to. And I understand those are surely more important than doing their unfound work. That they give their spare time to unfound which is what makes those people so special. Okay? That is absolutely true. So, and, and it's great working with them. But the simple answer is yes. Want to try to start doing that a little more. And there are certainly even cases that Unfound is covered so far where, you know, you kind of look back at it now and said, well, if things were different, you know, maybe some of those cases like two years ago when I was basically just doing the program by myself, really didn't have a team at the time, you'd like to go back and revisit some of those cases. And maybe some, one of these days we will. But that is happening, but it would be, right now what we're doing is cases that Unfound hasn't covered yet. Are there cases you won't cover? The answer is no. I will talk to anybody. Okay? Within the missing persons, once again, I don't do murders. I don't cover serial killers. We don't do conspiracies like UFOs or anything like that, as you know, on Unfound. Are there any disappearance cases that you won't cover? The simple answer is no. We'll, we'll cover any case. I will talk to anybody. However, there has to be, I don't want to put this, as I said before, I think already in answering another question, is that we're not going to cover any cases where I think that there is an agenda involved. That the people want to talk about these facts over here, but not these facts over there. They want to try to portray something in a particular light that it obvious is obvious to me isn't necessarily true. Okay, so I can't cover those cases if I think a guest is going to come on and push some agenda. Okay, I'm also, as I stated before, I'm not going to cover any cases where somebody's going on there and the only reason they're on, unfound is to go after somebody. And in fact, just recently, I was asked by a, uh, I was talking about the Abeda case disappearance where eventually the, the uh, sister of the missing, it was a missing child. Unfortunately, I don't know that case well off the top of my head. But eventually the sister got sued for $155,000 because she went off after uh, this woman who she thought, I think was kidnapped the little kid, and the woman lost her job on it, and so the woman took her to court and won. I can tell you for sure, Unfound doesn't want to do, have anything to do with that, and I know that's a very fine line. But, um, so a person like that could never be on Unfound. Could never, could never, ever, ever do it. So, um, so those are maybe those types of cases, or maybe should I say types of people? <laughs> there are certain types of people 
that can't be on unfound. In addition to that, as I was just talking, I think just on the YouTube show yesterday, is that we will cover any case, but we do not actively go after or try to find family members for a lot of the popular cases. Mar Murray, Jennifer Kessie, those ones. We do not actively do that. If they were to contact me or Emily or anybody else connected to the program, I would talk to them. Talk to them. But we don't actively go after them and try to find them because it goes back to like that one-year principle. We're trying to give attention to cases that haven't gotten as much attention as Mara Murray and Jennifer Kessie. That's what we're trying to do. Like Ma- or Madeline McCann, those cases. We're trying to get these other cases up to their level. But I would never be so rude as to, to deny talking to somebody. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily mean it would become an episode. But we can talk. We can talk about what they want to do and what they think they can get out of being on Unfound. And I'll talk to them about what my ideas are on their disappearances. And maybe there will be some conflicts there, but I will talk to them and and try to help them out in any way that I can. But we do not actively try to contact families of cases we perceive as being very, very popular. Um, Are there cases that you'd like to cover but haven't yet? That's like asking me the question before about uh, my favorite case, my least favorite case, the one that really haunts me or anything else. I would like to cover every case, but that's not going to happen in this lifetime. There are too many disappearance cases uh, for me to ever. I could be doing a daily program and not cover all the missing persons cases even just here in the United States, let alone the world. So I... There are not any cases in my head that, man, I really hope we can do that one day. There is not one case in my head right now that's like that. I take the cases as they come. Meaning somebody emails me out of the blue. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Um, Yeah, great. Or Emily happens to find a, 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 a Facebook page. She contacts them. They get back to her. Yeah, let's do it. This is how we handle things. But I would not say that there's a case up in my head that I really, really, really absolutely need to cover it. And if I don't do it before Unfound ends in 2057, the year 2057 or something like that, just pick the year out, um, that I'm going to feel bad about it. I'm just going to continue to cover whichever cases uh, we can, given who we can reach. Um, How do I start my own podcast. So for anybody out there, this is a question I've gotten more privately. How do you start your own podcast? The first thing that I've, that I ever say to anybody who has contacted me, and and it may not even have to do with true crime, whether they want to do disappearances or murders or anything from history, whatever, any type of podcast on any topic. My first statement is always that you have to do a program that is representative of yourself. 
you have to do something. You have to do a program that when you come to the microphone, you are you. You are not playing a character. Whoever, whatever type of person you think you are, introverted, extroverted, talkative, not so talkative, talkative, uh, you're more of a feeler, you're more of a thinker, whoever you think you are as a person has to be represented when you do the program. Why? Because if you come to the program and you are a character, like you think that you have to alter how you talk and how what your personality is and how you think, when you come to the microphone, eventually you're going to burn out no matter how good the program is. You are eventually not going to be able to do that all the time. So you have to figure out what does that mean. I Generally, I don't know these people so, so well, so I can't answer that question for them. But they have to do a program that if they're going to do a weekly program, that they can just do it and still be themselves. And that was one of the points that I made for myself when I started Unfound. I am naturally a curious person. I like to ask people questions, especially about topics that I don't know much about. And even with something, for example, the weightlifting I've been doing over the last almost three months, going to the gym twice a week, working out with a personal trainer, I've been doing lifting weights since I was about 25, but still, even with my personal trainer, I ask questions about what we're doing, why are we doing it, what should the gains be, where should I be, it's just kind of the person I am. So, when the issue was creating Unfound, it was very simple that, you know what, I'm just going to go out and find the people who know stuff, and if it's family members, that's who it is. We're going to have them on the program. I'm going to ask them the questions that I think you would all ask if you could. And then you'll get to hear from that person. That seems pretty simple enough to me. And I feel very comfortable playing that role. I do not need to see myself as a know-it-all where I am dispensing the information. I'm more than happy to just ask the questions and let somebody else tell you what happened, what they felt, what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced. Fine by me. So that would be the first point that I would make with anybody who wants to start any type of podcast. The second point is that you have to do a good program. Don't get so caught up. And I was guilty of this at the beginning as well. And I can admit it. Don't get so caught up in the amount of downloads, the amount of likes, the amount of shares, the comments, the horrible reviews that you may get at the beginning when you start a podcast because if anybody got horrible reviews at the beginning of his stint on his own as a podcaster, it was me. I'm here to tell you. That's true. That's true. You shouldn't worry about that. Just worry about doing the best program you can do. Whether that means you have to improve yourself, whether it means you have to improve the quality of the material that you're talking about, whether that means if you're, a, you're doing an interview program, 
you have to raise the level of your guests and get better guests or at least work with them more before they uh, come on air, before you record the conversation. Whatever that means, you have to do a good program. Forget about the marketing. Forget about gaining all these likes and shares and everything else on Twitter. Forget about it. Do a program that every time you're done with it, you love it. All right? As long as that is the case, everything else that you do will eventually come around. Now, what that also means, though, is you have to be brutally honest with yourself. Brutally. About everything that you do. You just can't think you're doing a good program because you got it in the can on time and it got released on time. And that, uh, you know, a couple friends of yours are saying, oh, that's so cool. It's not good enough. It's just not. Not if you want to do it for a long time and have an impact on people. Now, if you just want to do it for fun, just because you have some spare time, then I guess that's something different. I can't relate to that. Uh, here at Unfound, we do something a little, our attitude's a little different. But if you want to be a professional, you want to do a serious program where people listen to it and say, wow, that person really knows what he or she is doing, then you need to do a program that is indicative of you and you need to do a program that is good. Second, you shouldn't worry about Patreon and, and, and everything else. Just worry about getting the program to the point where you know it's good. And that's maybe, that's maybe going to take some time. And even for me, I look back, I listen back, I guess you'd say, to those first episodes. I didn't have the audio right. And that's still something I, I, I'm meaning to go back and change because I, I know that I can make it better now with the skills that I have. But the audio is not where it needed to be. I didn't know they couldn't play the air conditioning in the background while doing interviews. A lot of things. I had the wrong app that I was using to record phone calls, uh, record the interviews. Lots of uh, learning that I needed to do that probably in retrospect I should have figured out beforehand. And I didn't do that. That's my fault. My fault. So that's what I would tell... Uh, somebody. You'll notice I didn't talk about anything about equipment. Just get a microphone and get a computer that you can afford. And there's plenty of YouTube videos on how to hook it all up and record. And it, I, I use Podomatic, but there's all sorts of different hosting sites. Some of them are going to be a little more expensive than others. You can figure that all out. But what's under your control is the kind of program that you're going to do. And in any sort of pursuit like this, you have to, t in my opinion, you have to take it seriously. If you just want to do it for fun, I, once again, I, I can't give you any advice on that. I mean, what I do is quote unquote fun, but it's not entertainment. I, I take this program very seriously. So um, that's what I would say to anybody who is looking to start their own podcast about Anything. It doesn't have anything. It doesn't mean it has to be true crime about anything. If you can get those things right, then you're probably going to be around for a while. If you get those things wrong, then you're probably not going to be around for a while. Probably. Next, would I ever be involved in a TV show or film? Yes, but it would have to be 
in circumstances where I think that the TV show or film is representing the missing persons community in the real way. For example, I've seen some of the old episodes of Without a Trace from the 2000s, which was a missing person program. I could never be involved with a program like that because it's total, it's total hocus pocus magic, you know, TV magic. That's not how the real world is. I've had a couple conversations with some TV producers, and I think I've even told all of you about them. And I've told them, if you can't, we can't represent the missing persons community, what goes on with families, what goes on with investigations, the mistakes that are made, the anguish that families go through for years, and how cases can be unsolved for a long, 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 long time, uh, then I'm just not interested. I, I, the way that we do Unfound, which is very realistic, it is as truthful as truthful can get regarding missing persons cases. Because of that, I cannot be involved in anything that isn't produced the same way. And I'm nice about it, and I'm not dying to do something like that. I'm perfectly happy with what I do right now. I do not, there is nothing in my career path that says I must have a TV show. I must be, do a, nothing. It just does not enter my mind. If somebody approaches with me with, me with something, then we can talk about it. Uh, but I am not, um, if I do Unfound for the next 30 years and I'm never involved in a TV show or anything like that, I think I'll be just fine. I'm pretty sure. So I'm not desperate for that type of stuff. Um, next question. This is a really good question. What are some things families should do when they have a, dis- when they have a disappearance happen? First and foremost, I know a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about this, and I've heard other people talk about it. I've seen what other other people have written. First thing as a family that you should do, and the reason you should do this is because nobody else would be able to do this. The police aren't going to be able to do this. Nobody else. Unfortunately, you need to think worst-case scenario right away. Now, if it just ends up that your child, uh, your teenager, or or somebody just comes back within a day or two, great, great. But I think that you have to go to worst-case scenario first. And what that means is that you have to make out a list. As soon as you figure out that something's not right, you make out a list of those people who might have wanted to make your Son, daughter, father, mother, mother, brother, sister, friend, uh, go missing. That's what you have to do first. Okay, first and foremost. Anybody that you think would want to make that happen. Once again, you always have prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Then you automatically go try to find where those people are. And figure out where, and if it's a day later, where were they yesterday? If it's two days later, where were they two days ago? If it was a week, you find out a week later, unfortunately, you try to figure out where they were a week ago. Why? Because the cops don't know your missing person like you do. You know their enemies, you know their friends. Whereas if you try to tell the police that, then you have to explain everything. Whereas you already know. You don't need to explain it to yourself. You already know. 
and you can try to call those people, email those people, see if those people had any um, uh, action on Facebook. Did they make any posts? Did they, do they use Instagram? Did they, you know, f- try to figure out where they were, what they were doing around the time that you think that your loved one went missing? You'll be able to do it a lot faster than anybody else. And if it turns out that your loved one comes back in a couple days, he or she ran off to Vegas and didn't tell anybody and then came back, then they're back and it's great. Okay. They're fine. However, if it's not like that, then you have that information. And what's most important is you have that information at the exact time, as close as could be to the time that your loved one disappeared. And you'll have it. You could type it out, put it in a file. You go through this, figure out where these people are. And if any of them are a little suspicious, suspicious, and they don't have a solid alibi, you'll know that. So if the case goes a month or a year or five years or 10 years, You'll always have that information that some investigator, some way, pri- private investigator, reporter like myself can then look at. And you can tell me, you know what? These are the people who we believe could be responsible at the time. And here's where they were, or where they weren't. And we couldn't prove. Unfortunately, we could never pin anything on these people and the police couldn't. But this is what we figured out. That kind of information can be so valuable somewhere, somewhere down the road if a dis- disappearance doesn't get solved quickly. I can't even begin to tell you that because as you know, I suspect a majority, a large majority of unfounds cases are murders. Pretty sure. I don't have a lot of proof of that, but we talk about enough suspects and people, once again, suspects in general terms, people who might've had a grudge against the missing person. We, once again, we just talk facts. Um, you know, ex-husbands, husbands, people like that, that sometimes their whereabouts, what they were doing at the time, can be forgotten over time. And I run into that a lot. So that's what I would do. If I had a loved one that went missing, the first thing I would do is I would sit down and figure out, okay, who are the most likely people who might have wanted to cause my loved one to disappear? And then you can go the you know of course dial nine one one all of that stuff but that list is so important so that's the number one thing that uh, I think people should do start making a list check it twice calling people emailing these people and find out if maybe they're just a little out of touch for a while and they they're trying to ignore you that might be interesting well as well next. Uh, question do I believe all of unfound's cases will be solved no I don't and I'm not giving it a time frame it's not well, do you think they'll all be solved by the time you pass away when you're 90 years old Ed um, no I don't uh, I and you know I'm 48 now if I make it to 90 I'll, I think I'll be very lucky lucky to make it to 90 but that'll be 42 more years. Actually, I'll be, let's just say 41 more years. Unfortunately, I don't think so. I know that's sad. It's as sad as life can be. But the odds, the statistics say probably not. 
And especially if you're looking at some of the older cases like Evelyn Hartley's, like Donna Mikolenko's and some of these others, those are probably the ones that are least likely to get solved on top of everything else. So, I mean, if I live to be 90, that'll be the year 2060. Evelyn Hartley's case will be over 100 years old by that time. So, I don't. Do I believe that some of Unfound's cases will be solved before I get to the age of 90? I do. I believe a few of them, quite a few of them. In fact, we know of, what, three cases? Thomas, of course, they aren't all technically solved, but we have a suspect in custody in Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman's case. We have the found remains of Zoe Campos, and Carlos Rodriguez is in jail. And then, of course, Thomas Brown's remains have been found. Uh, and that's really all within the last year or something. So that's and, and I and I hope in the next year, three more, and then three more, and maybe more. Uh, so I think that there will be several of Unfound's cases that will be solved eventually. But all of them, I, I just cannot see it. In fact, I don't even think it will even be close to all of them. I'm, I'm just being honest. That's what I think I know about missing persons cases. The next question. I've been asked this a few times. Um, is unfound my only job? And I think I just covered that a little bit earlier when I said I'm the only one who concentrates on unfound 100% in contrast to the people who are on the team that have their own real jobs and then in their spare time they do what they can do for unfound. But yes, this is my only job. Now, how do I do that? Because I realize that there are many podcaster out, podcasters out there who do popular podcasts, whether in true crime or whatever, but they also have jobs that they also do outside of podcasting. For me, you have to remember some things. I'm 48 years old. I don't have any kids. I'm not married. And as I've joked at least a few times on the YouTube live show, that I live in this little bachelor pad in Madeira Beach, Florida, that's probably about as big as your kitchen. Um, that's going to be changing uh, next week. I am going to be moving to a bigger place, a nicer place. But as I've also told people, the reason that is happening is because my father wants to come and see me sometimes here in Florida now that my mother passed away. And so I need to get a two-bedroom place. And my dad and I are going to be splitting the cost on it. I can assure you, the place I'm moving to, I would never, ever be able to afford it on my own, ever. But um, really, moving to this place and splitting things with my dad, uh, it is within my budget. Now, on top of that, being that I am 48 years old and no kids, and because kids are expensive, that I've been able to save money over the jobs that I had specifically in Las Vegas. There was a time in Las Vegas where I had three or four jobs uh, at a time. That's that's a true story. All at once. Maybe not every day, but over the course of a week, I would have four different kinds of jobs. And I was able to save up money 
and invested, but I am not rich by any means. In fact, I've taken it quite a hit over the years. But I live quite frugally. I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm cheap, but I live within my means. And then on top of that, with the people who are so generous through PayPal and Patreon, of course, selling books and other things, um, I get by. And that's plenty for me. My idea of having a job has always been, I just want to be able to do something so I don't have to think about doing anything else. In fact, I think that whether whatever that was going to be in my life, let's say 15 years ago, that I've always taken what I might call a musician type of attitude. If you And I've got to know quite a few musicians when I lived in Las Vegas. Of course, there's only a few musicians in the world who ever end up being really rich and famous and flying in private jets. Most musicians who make money here and there, band on the weekends, and of course, in Las Vegas, you might uh, work in some show during the evening. And what I p- always picked up from those types of people is that they just wanted to make enough money being a musician, didn't care ever about being rich or anything else. They just wanted to be a musician and get by with that and not have to do anything else. And that's how much they love making music. They wanted to just make enough money that they didn't have to do anything else. That's my always been my attitude as well. To find something that is a, a work that is me, to just make enough where I don't have to think about doing anything else. And, and that is where I am now. And, and it's great. It's great. And because it, I think that it fulfills so many things put together that just aren't about me, but about other people. And helping them. And I think this is going to be the last question. And I get this and uh, I've gotten this more and more recently because this event is coming up soon. Will I ever go to CrimeCon? The simple answer is no. Well, Ed, why is your answer no? Um... Every time this question comes up on the YouTube show, I find myself racking my brain to answer this in a way that doesn't make me sound self-righteous because I don't feel self-righteous. But I can tell you that there was at least one time after I answered that question that after the show, I had a conversation with Cherie, uh, who is, once again, you've heard her name a few times now, um... She is actually the moderator for the live show on Wednesday nights on YouTube in case we get any trolls. But I always tell her, man, I just cannot answer this question the right way. And every time I answer it, I feel like I feel like I'm self-righteous and I'm trying to take the fun away from a lot of people who are going there. And, and that is the way that I, I feel, but I still believe that I'm right about this. I think that crime con is in bad taste. I think it's not immoral, it's not illegal, it's not unethical. But 
to me, it's obvious. It's obvious to me that it's a fad, and it's a fad based on counting on crimes to be out there so people can get together to have these conventions and charge people to go to them. And I think that the day that whoever organized, and I guess it's Red Seat Ventures, puts CrimeCon together, as soon as they decide that this alleged fad has passed, CrimeCon won't be here anymore. The problem is these crimes still exist. Missing persons cases will still exist. They'll still happen. All the families who are out there are still going to be in pain. They're still not going to have the answers that they deserve. So I just think that you have to remember something. And I already know that I stated this uh, earlier. When I got started in this in 2016, I had no idea the true crime podcasting was as popular as it is. I'll, I'll admit, I had no idea about serial nothing. I, I, that's the, that is the honest to God truth. The reason I got involved is because, you know what, maybe we can do something about these cases. We have this medium, we have this microphone, we have uh, this computer, we have iTunes, we have Podomatic, we have Stitcher. Maybe we can do some good work trying to solve these cases. It was only then after that I found out, wow, look how popular, look at this, look at that. It was well after that. But my impression is that people have gotten into this because it's popular, not because they're actually interested in solving anything. And that's the way I look at CrimeCon. That if they existed to solve crime, then it should be here from now to the end of time. But it's not going to be because I think it's riding a wave of uh, popularity. And frankly, I just can't be involved with anything like that. That is the opposite of the way I think about all of this. That's my answer. And those are my answers to some of the most popular questions that I've gotten since I started Unfound. And like I said, uh, most of those questions come from when I've done the... Wednesday night YouTube show. Of course, that's a show that started on Facebook, but then at the beginning of this year, I moved it over to YouTube, and I'm very thankful to say that that's been a very positive move uh, for Unfound. So if there's a question that you'd like answered, as you can tell from these questions, they're more general type questions. Really didn't get into any specific cases or anything like that, but any other general questions that you have about Unfound and myself and why I'm doing this and how we go about our business and where the future is going to be for Unfound, I'm always happy to answer those questions. And the next time I do one of these types of uh, episodes, your question will be included. I'm thinking I won't have to do another episode like this for a while. You know, the bizarre part is that I've talked to a lot of people recently. It just seems that the two guests 
that I had scheduled for this week, well, things just happened. And I think after doing the program for two and a half years, that's going to occur once in a while. I would explain it like the manufacturing of a vehicle where you have to put all of these different parts together. Well, each part is made to a certain tolerance level. And once in a while, there's a vehicle that's put together where too many of the parts are on the one end of the tolerance range. And so you get a car that's maybe a little looser than the others, has a few more problems than the others. Well, I think all of the tolerances for Unfound lined up this week. And we just had some bad luck and some other things go on. So I hope we don't have to, I don't have to do another Q&A episode. I would love to do another one, but I'm thinking that uh, it's not going to be for a while, much like the update episode uh, situation. I hope, because we're here to solve cases, we're here to interview people, and that is the goal. So I think, should this happen in the future, probably what I'm going to do is I'm going to end up replaying some of the old episodes. Because when some of them were first produced and published, Unfound did not have the audience that it does now. And I realize that new people are finding the program all the time, but... And I realize some people do go back to the beginning and uh, binge on listening to all 130 episodes, however many there are now. But then some others, they kind of just take it as it comes. They find it, they subscribe, and they listen to like the most recent episodes. And then they decide, well, when I get time, I'll go back to the beginning or something. Well, maybe the next time this happens, I will just upload an old episode, maybe the Jason Jolkowski episode or the Jesse Foster episode or the Ben Charles Padilla episode. One of the, you know, these ones that were early on, but I'm going to have to fix the audio on some of them uh, before I do that. But we've been talking to a lot of people. I just cannot begin to explain how many people that I've talked to recently who have their files are on my computer and some notes taken. It's just, as I said, during the Q&A part of this program, sometimes it takes a while for uh, these interviews to make it to all of you. I thought that I had two people prepared for interviews this week. I guess I was wrong. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Densel. And you've been listening to Unfound.